Hi, everybody. This is Jim Robbins, and this is the Good and Noble Heart podcast. And with me today is my special guest, Joel Brzezinski, whom many of you know from Grace Roots podcast. And the question we're going to try and hopefully provide some encouragement around today is the question of if you have tried to embrace this message that your heart is good and noble, that in fact you are no longer prone to wander, that because of the new covenant, because of the new way God is relating to us, and because he has replaced that wayward wandering heart with his heart, with his goodness, so that now you are a new person, you are that new creation, and your heart is thoroughly good and pure. The question then becomes, why, if I've been trying to live in this for months or years, do I either struggle to believe it, or does the evidence seem to the contrary because of perhaps an addiction that I can't get over or an anger issue or I seem not to have the faith that I want to have or any number of issues that you know, circumstantially would cause us to think, well, both can't be true. I can't possibly have a good and noble heart with no ounce of sin dwelling in the heart and simultaneously have evidence that I'm still sin, I still have sin that I'm struggling with. So it creates this internal tension in our lives whereby it makes it really difficult to believe that our heart is good and noble, that there isn't any darkness in it any longer. There's darkness in our flesh, which we can get to. There's darkness perhaps in our mind from still being unrenewed to an extent, but not our heart. But what do we do with this contrary evidence of the issues that we struggle with or a lack of faith or a lack of trust or things that we struggle with that would suggest, well, no, maybe your heart isn't good. What do we do with that? So Joel and I are going to be kind of uh, just talking around that issue today and offer from our experience what has been helpful to us and hopefully what is helpful to you. Um, and I wanted to start out by saying that in some ways it's a little unfair I mean, the message of the good and noble heart is almost a setup. And what I mean by that is it, with that message comes the conviction, the biblical idea that, as I said, your heart that was diseased, that was prone to wander, is gone. It, Ezekiel 36 says it was removed. It's almost like God did surgery spiritually so that that diseased heart that couldn't love well, couldn't relate well, at least not the way Jesus does, is gone, and in its place is a heart that is unique to us, but is filled with Jesus' own righteousness. But let's say you accept that idea, that your heart is good. Um, it's almost like a, a setup from the beginning, because sooner or later, you're going to run into issues with sin. <laughs> um, and if God has, in fact, replaced that dysfunctional, sinful heart with his righteousness, then why why am I experiencing this sin or this entrenched habit or this anger or this lust or, uh, you know, incapacity to believe like I want to or should believe? And so in some ways it feels like an unfair setup that, wait, you're telling me my heart is good and noble and, and 100% so, so why am I not experiencing that? Um, Joel, where have you come across that, whether in dialogue with others or in your own journey? How has that unfolded? 
Wow. Well, there's, you know, there's been so much in my own life and in, and in the talking with so many people over the last 15 years that I've been kind of growing in this, uh, knowledge and understanding of, of my new heart is there's been times of confusion with me, uh, times of despondency, you know, thinking kind of like what you're talking about. There's, there's sin in my life. And where does that come from? If I'm, if I'm actually really, if I really do have this new heart, if I really do have a new identity, if I really am in Christ and Christ is in me, then why am I doing these things? And uh, I've I've had to deal with those things myself, and and I think um, a lot of it has come down to me that the the biblical message, you know, what Paul writes about so predominantly, uh, that we do have this solid, new, secure identity in Christ. Uh, we do have this new heart. Hebrews brings that out, uh, repeating that verse from Ezekiel. And uh, so the the biblical message, the solid biblical message is that we do have this, but there's also our our daily experience, you know, the things that we experience, the things that we see in ourselves, the things that we think about. Uh, we know that some of the things that we do and think about don't line up with this new identity. And so a lot of it has come down to, for me, um, a, a, a big thing that changed thing, changed my perspective, helped me to understand, was uh, knowing, and I think Andrew Farley has talked a lot about this, and, and other uh, wonderful grace preachers and teachers that talk about there's a difference between the soul and the spirit and the body. You know, we, we have a body, uh, we, we are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in the body. Our spirit is, that's where we've got this new heart, that's where we have this solid identity in Christ, but our soul, which is made up of our mind, will, and emotions, it, it doesn't always line up with those things. The things that we do and think about don't always line up with the reality. And again, we got to understand that the reality is that we do have a new heart. We do have a new spirit. That this is the reality. But these uh, our experience in, in our emotions, because our emotions haven't been redeemed. Our, our thinking hasn't always been redeemed. And so Paul talks about being transformed by the renewing of our mind and so much of um, so much of uh, our, our problems and struggles come uh, because we need to constantly daily renew our minds to the truth the truth of what has really happened to us in our spirit with our new heart and as we do that this has been my experience as as I've uh, renewed my mind and 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 a lot of it has come through the podcast that I do with Mike Kapler a lot of it has come with uh, chats with other people on Facebook and on blogs and things like that, interaction with other like-minded people. Uh, over time, I've become more and more renewed to the truth and, and grounded and established in the truth. And so I think that's, for, for at least a lot of people, I think that's a, that's a big part, just understanding that we do have a new heart. That's, that's the reality. And then uh, we need to renew our, our minds uh, to the truth because our minds are ever-changing. Yeah, and I think you hit on two really important things. The, the importance of our mind catching up with our heart, what our heart knows to be true. And this, um, this idea of experience often uh, con seemingly contradicting what is true about our hearts. And so when we talk about this renewal of the mind, um, you know, our beliefs are not formed overnight. It, it, our original belief that a heart was wicked, you know, that many of us grew up with in church, that our heart was wicked, it was prone to wander, deceitful above all things, um, before we discovered the new covenant, 
it took years, perhaps decades, of solidification and calcification of that bad heart theology to take place. So in some ways, we ought not to think that overnight our mind will be able to catch up with a new reality that now that we have Jesus and he has done the surgery, he's removed that old heart, brought in the new heart, given us our new identity, um, the, the very beliefs that were formed over years and decades are not likely to then instantly be unformed <laughs> or, or reformed according to truth. Um, so that renewing of our mind in what is true is going to take multiple exposures. I, I heard a guy say that a long time ago. He was talking about his message and, and why his message was very similar. And often um, you're left with this experience of, well, I'm just not getting it because I don't seem to be able to live out this message. And his point was it's going to take multiple exposures. Even advertising knows that. That, there, that there's a base threshold where a person, after a certain amount of exposures, will even begin to take you seriously. So we, we ought to be patient with that and assume that there will be multiple exposures in this process. And that was my, the, own, my, the case with my journey through a few different years from a variety of authors God showed me. Uh, building a case that, Jim, know what you were taught that your heart, even though you're a Christian, is still desperately wicked. That's not true. Let me show you, biblically, what the real picture of your heart is. Well, that wasn't a sort of a flash-in-the-pan thing. He, he had to build that case over three or four years before it even made sense and was clear and solid to me. And then several more years before I really understood the implications of what that meant. Mm. So, entrenched thinking... You're exactly right. Needs the renewal. We have to keep returning to the truth. What is true about my heart? But as you alluded to, the problem that often impedes that is that in our, especially in postmodern culture, which has taken root in the church, experience now drives truth. That's one of the fallacies of the postmodern era is that we look to experience to drive truth, in part because the truth has been abused or misrepresented or um, we've served under controlling leaders um, who did not respect us, who did not know the truth. So sometimes even the idea of truth itself comes across as this dogmatic um, position that I have that I can lord over you with. Uh, and so because of that, we've, we've gone to experience because experience feels safer to us um, than a, a dogmatic kind of thing. But we've, we've thrown out the legitimacy of truth and the freedom that it can bring our hearts um, because of those painful experiences. And so when you have experience driving truth rather than truth driving experience – um, you're not going to know where to, your heart's not going to know where to feel settled because your experience is going to be shifting. You're going to have those times when you screw up, when it seems that all the evidence is against you having a good and noble heart. And you're going to have this cognitive dissonance where um, research has done this great studies on cognitive dissonance, dissonance where 
you have an experience that contradicts a longstanding belief. And, um, and, the, and let's say you've been walking with this message, you've been trying to walk with this message that you have a new identity, that God through his grace has given you this new heart. When experience contravenes that, in other words, you have a flare-up of anger, or you can't understand why you can't control certain lusts, or you feel no different than anyone else, um, who has never had an experience or walked with God. That cognitive dissonance can't stand. It, 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 there, there's too much tension there. So you're going to either, you have to do one or the other. You he, either have to return to what is true, or you have to go to your experience hoping that somehow your experience of it's going to change. Mm-hmm. So experience cannot drive truth. Because it's too liquid, it's too unpredictable, emotions, as you said, haven't been renewed, our perceptions haven't been renewed that much. You know, we, they do as we walk, but I think those are two really critical points that you bring up. Yeah, and I, I think that what goes along with that, too, is the, the, the message in, in the church, in, not, not everywhere in the church, but in large part, is a... Is it's a performance-based message. It's it's a performance-based. Uh, even if people, and this was another one of my problems, was that even though I was growing in my knowledge and understanding of my new heart, of my new identity, I was part of a church that was basically focused on performance. I mean, every every week, it would be you know five new principles for Christian living, and I got to say they weren't bad. It was it wasn't bad stuff. It was like, yeah, good. Love husbands, love your wives. You know, do better with your finances and and things like that. But the root of it was a performance based message, and so a person is left sitting there going, I need to change this. I need to do this. I need to do that. And so and then you go out and you live. You know, you hear about this on Sunday morning, and then you go out and live on Monday. And your experience doesn't line up with what you've just heard that you need to change about your life. And so you get to you get I got to feeling despondent and um, thinking, man, I'm just I'm never going to be able to do this thing. And so you, you get disheartened and you feel like I I just I give up. And I think that's a big part of it was that even though in many cases the intentions of the preacher might be good, he might have good motives, but he's he's missing the mark when it comes to the the focus of the christian life like you say whether it's um experience driving our identity or identity driving experience or i'm not sure how you worded that that was good though but so many in so many times the basis that we hear preached the basis of the christian life is performance and so we go out and try to do that and we never get a grip of our true identity because we don't hear that preached in the church a whole lot no, and that's a critical piece because, um, as you suggested, the message of the church is you're never enough. Um, that's why you have continuing messages on, um, you know, improving this, upgrading this, <laughs> becoming a better. It's always a message of becoming something, which in a way isn't a bad thing as long as you realize what the source and power of that is. Mm-hmm. But in much of the church today, the real power is not recognized. Um, so the assumption under that is that, well, we know that your heart is desperately wicked, therefore you're not likely to be changing 
as God would expect you to change, as we would expect you to change. Um, you're, you're so unfinished that it's our job to tell you where you're falling short and where you need to become more. Whereas if the, if the, the assumption was no, your heart has been thoroughly transformed by the holiness of Jesus. You have the holiness of Jesus dwelling within you. You are no less um, godly than he himself is in your heart. Now, your heart may not be strong as his in living that new goodness out. It may need training in, in releasing that new goodness, but it's not going to get fundamentally any more holy. Um, your, your, your body may, as a result of your heart, your mind may become more holy, but not your heart itself, not your, not your actual core nature. So there's a fundamental assumption in the church that, well, that hasn't taken place, that maybe someday you'll be a little bit more holy than you are now, uh, and certainly one day in heaven. But because their assumption is you're not, um, the, the task of preaching and the task of and how it shapes the community leaves people, as you said, thoroughly discouraged. That why do I feel like I'm starting from square one, from base one all the time uh, whenever I screw up? It's, it's this fallacy, this is this futility that I can't, I can't get beyond where I am now. Um, or if I do, it slips away in a heartbeat. So if we change the assumption in the church from old covenant thinking that, yes, at one time your heart was deceitfully wicked, now because Jesus has renewed your heart, well, actually replaced it with a good and noble one, it is not now, you have a real chance of living the life of Jesus. Um, and so there's this finished part of us, and by that I mean our new nature is complete and finished in, in terms of godliness. We do now have all we need in terms of godliness because our heart has been, um, we have been given the heart of Christ. But the unfinished part would be those struggles of the flesh, the struggles of the body, the struggles where, where our emotions and our thoughts are not yet renewed. So what do you do, Joel, if you're in a community that's operating under the bad heart theology and preaching that to Christians who are trying as hard as they can to live the life of Christ, but only finding discouragement because they're assuming that their heart is still bad. What do you do when you're in that kind of community? Do you leave? Do you stay and try and be strong in the midst of it? Is that something only God can answer with that person? Yeah, that's a really good question, and, and that has been <laughs> prevalent in, in my life over the last several years. Um, I, I just did want to say something. It was interesting when you were talking there. There's this dichotomy that uh, stuck out to me that the church teaches that we have a wicked and deceitful heart, and yet they expect us to perform as if we have a new, good, and noble heart. <laughs> <laughs> isn't, that, just, isn't that ironic? <laughs> just ironic. But um, yeah, and uh, in my experience, I've been in I've been in a church um, over the years. Over uh, about uh, twelve years ago, I think uh, we started going to this church, and and you know a lot of grace in the church, but yet a lot of uh, performance based teaching as well. And I struggled there 
or for many years. Again, I was growing in my identity. I was teaching it. I was uh, preaching it. I was sharing it uh, in the podcast and on, in blog posts and with other people and in discussions. And yet uh, the mixture of the performance-based thing and then the grace thing, that really got to me. And so I struggled with this myself. And and I do think that each individual person is different. You know, we're not all the same. We haven't been cre- – we're created equal in God's eyes, but yet we're all – but yet we're different. We all have different gifts, different talents, uh, different personalities, different ways of seeing things. And I do think that each individual does need to seek God as far as um, what they should do. In my case, I, I stayed there for seven years, and I was able to um, spend some time writing an article for a monthly publication that the church put out, and I was able to take part in small groups uh, in which I was able to share a lot of the the great um, the message of the the pure gospel as I understood it. And at the same time, I was struggling. I was really struggling um, to uh, to get not not to not to get along with the people because I, I did do well in getting along with people, but um, fitting in uh, when they were having discussions um, that were performance based discussions, and sometimes just feeling like uh, I was I was the outcast. And yet other times feeling like I was able to bring some good things to the conversation. But over that period, there were um, there were two times in which I just said, God, I I just can't do this anymore. I, I, I really I love people. I want to be there to share this message and just to to fellowship with people in the body of Christ. But I can't do it. And then I would just be ready to to leave the church and be done with it. And God would send this wave of grace. Now, this is just my own personal experience. This isn't anybody else's. This is just me. And so then I would feel refreshed and renewed, and he would assure me that he was with me, and this was something that he was doing in my life. Then finally, this happened a third time, and I, I said, God, I, I just can't do this. I can't be with in this type of setting anymore. And I fully expected God to come in and uh, renew me and refresh me in this way again. But at that time, the third time, I felt a release from him hmm. to and go, I, and and yeah, and it was to go and to not uh, take part in that fellowship anymore. And that was uh, five years ago, and I didn't know if that was for a week, a month, a year, or what. I, I really had no clue. But it's just a matter of 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 seeking God, and I really did. I prayed a lot about this. I sought him out about this, and that is what I sensed from him at the time, and, and, and that's what I've been doing ever since then. And when that happened, I've started growing in leaps and bounds as far as, as, far as being refreshed and renewed and, and renewing my mind in the things of grace and, and the truth, and I, and I was learning so many wonderful things. And it was, it's just what God did in, in my life. And so I think the bottom line for me when I talk about this is that each individual person, I think there are some people who, who do well. Um, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Jim, I know that she, uh, Aida, uh, we've talked about mm-hmm. her. You've talked about her. I think she's remained in, in the church setting and, um, she, you know, puts up with a lot of the stuff that goes on and she just enjoys the people. Um, and other people run as far as you can, if you're in that. <laughs> so I think everybody's, I think everybody's different when it comes down to it. Yeah. And I think that's, 
I think each person has a conversation they have to have with God. I can't, um, you can't formularize it. You can't say leave or don't leave as some rigid kind of expectation. Um, I mean, my wife and I and our kids, we left the institutional expression about uh, five, six years ago now. Um, and it's been pretty darn difficult in a lot of ways because we just haven't found a group, a local fellowship that we feel um, is non-institutional that that even would um, that even exists or that uh, we could be a part of. However, um, you know, I would say, you know, God, there, there may be folks that God would say, "I want you to leave. You need to, you need time to heal. Your heart has been so, um, in some cases, abused by uh, this bad heart, wicked heart theology." Um, that the church still preaches to Christians that you may need to leave. However, there I, I remember strongly that a couple years ago, God said, now that you are have received healing, you've kind of come out the other side of that, you're free to be there and you're free not to be there because you're free. Um, so... It's, it's the freedom it doesn't have as much to do with whether you're in that context or not. It's who you are in that context. You're free to be there. You're free not to be there because you're free. Um, so, uh, you know, if God were to say to me today, look, I want you to go back to XYZ Church in, in quotes, I would be fully aware of what I would be facing and my family would be facing. I mean, there's, you can't go back naively. You have to. It's it's almost like you know entering the fray again. You have to know what know what to expect. Know that the accusation may increase. Know that the shame may increase, but it's not you. Um, but you know, so we're in a period where we're we're saying, God, if that's what you want, we're free to be there. We're free not to be there. Um, uh, and, and one thing that I want to point out is that, so, so ask, so ask, you know, if you're in that place and your community, Christian community, isn't a new hearted community and they don't have that expectation or invitation for people to live from their new hearts or even believe that that is the case, then ask God, what do you want me to do? Stay, go. Um, the other thing I really want to bring up is that, um, we cannot be naive that there is an enemy. We just can't. Mm. Um, the enemy's favorite way of pinning down our hearts, well, there are two ways, accusation and deception, and they go hand in hand. And why does accusation pin down our hearts? It, it, it's, it does because it leads us away from what in fact is true of us. That's that's why the accuser is so effective at disarming our hearts with accusation. This idea that no, no, you shouldn't believe that your heart is good and noble because look at the evidence. Look at what you, what you just did. Look at what you just thought. Look at this habit that you can't break out of. Look at your lack of faith. You can't believe that your heart is possibly good and true and noble. Um so I don't want us to be and, – and sadly, there are many in the grace community that have tossed out warfare as a viable category of thought, period. Uh, 
And I think we've done that to our, our detriment. Right. Um, it's like suggesting that the Navy SEALs and the Special Forces are wasting their time looking for terrorists over in the Middle East because terrorism is simply a propaganda tool to keep us under control. You know, I mean, we've, we've mythologized evil so we don't have to deal with it. And so I think that's been a, a really critical error on our part. Again, it's happened because the idea of warfare and how it's been handled has been so misused and abused and all that. But it doesn't mean there's not something true behind that. Right. And so, again, return to what is true. Um, I remember there's, there's the account of, in John Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress that this, the main character named Christian is going through this transformational journey into grace. And, and partway through, he faces the foul beings. He enters this really dark period of his life. And he doesn't know that the whispers in his ear are actual foul beings accusing him shaming him into to, to pin him down, to stop him from moving forward. And he thinks it's him. He thinks it's his own thoughts. He thinks it's the lies and, and, and foul nature of his own heart, and it's not. It's, it's the foul beings or foul spirits, however you want to say that, that are whispering these lies to him. Um, and what if he never realized that? If, if he never realized it's not him, then where do you go with that? Either you have to blame it on yourself or you have to blame it on God. And, and so recognize that there is an enemy. He personally wants to see your heart disabled. Right. And, and I, I've seen a lot of this, uh, you know, kind of the throwing out the baby with the bathwater that you were talking about uh, in a sense in the, in that, and I went through this, too, in which I had heard so many things taught in, in the church that were backwards or wrong, that when uh, I came across those passages of Scripture in my own reading, I would skip them by, because all I could read into it was legalism. Mm. And, I had, and I had, because that's what the way that those had been taught to me, and I had to go through a period in which I, I pretty much ignored a lot of things, but... Um, there are so many things like this, you know, putting on the whole armor of God, spiritual warfare, uh, knowing that there is an enemy. Uh, you know, I think that um, people have taken it to an extreme where they say, yes, see, we've, we've got a new spirit, we've got this new heart, and nothing can stand in our way, nothing can stop us. And, and uh, on the one hand, that's true because Christ is in us, Christ is our victory, Christ is the victor, but on the other hand, because the enemy is does really exist, and he he does know what's going on with us. He's you know he's been around a long time, and and he knows what's going on in the church, and he he knows what can undermine the church, and he knows what can help help his own cause uh, to stop. He wants the church to not advance, uh, and he knows all these things. And so when we see things like um, you know having girded your waist with truth, putting on the breastplate of righteousness and uh, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith. We, we, we can't ignore these things because these things are so very important. We can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. He does have fiery darts to throw at us. Mm. He really does. And uh, the sword of, spe- of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, all these things, they are so very important in this, in this whole uh, 
life in Christ and, and, and living out uh, from our new heart and our new identity, again, um, it's true that we have a new heart and a new spirit. That's a solid identity. And as you were saying earlier, um, what we receive this new heart and this new spirit instantly. But, again, our minds uh, don't always catch on to the truth right away. And our, our, what goes on in our soul, our emotions, and, and so many other things don't catch on right away. And the enemy can get us there. And so we do need to, to um, put on the whole armor of God, as Paul says, in order to stop him from undermining these, uh, this, this new life that we have in Christ and to fully experience it. I think that's very important. So as we kind of wrap up, um, let's, let's give folks some tools, some resources, so that, in fact, truth can drive their experience and not the other way around, so that they can renew their minds, so that they can stay in this, get multiple exposures to, to feed their heart, to renew their mind, to help their feelings and thoughts and emotions catch up with what is true of their heart, rather than letting exp um, their experience tell them what is true. Let, let's just talk about some ones that um, we know of. Um, I just started... Um, a place, a community even more specific than what is on my Facebook page. And uh, we're both on Facebook, uh, and we both constantly dialogue about these issues. Um, and I'll, when I post this, I'll post both of our Facebook addresses as well. But what I wanted to do is I created a community page on my website, thegoodandnobleheart.com, and you just click on the community tab. And it's, I wanted to get very specific. Um, I wanted it to the, the conversation rather than to kind of be sprawling and sort of haphazard around a variety of faith issues or grace or, um, you know, complaining about the institution. I wanted to get very specific and ask two questions, which we've addressed here, started to address. One, where are you struggling to believe that your heart is good and pure and, and where are you struggling to live from it? And two, where are you finding encouragement? So that through the the multiple input of a lot of people, um, through the maybe a more encouraging community, specifically centered around those two questions of where do you struggle and where are you finding help, can emerge. Um, that's one place, um, and then the resources, the good and um, recover your good heart book addresses some of this. Um, Joel, where would they go to get what uh, other than your Facebook page? your podcast? Oh, the podcast is at growingingrace.org. Um, and we've, uh, Cap and I, Mike Kapler and I, uh, we call him the Cap. Uh, <laughs> he's been going, uh, we've been doing this. We've, uh, see, it's been over seven years. We've got over 350 podcasts uh, going, dating back to uh, two, uh, 2005. And um, I believe that that's, you know, that the, the, what what we do on the podcast, we, we don't get really, um, theologically deep, although we do bring out the scriptures, we do try to encourage people with the truth from the scriptures, and it's just a casual conversation, it's a 14-minute weekly podcast, and I, and I really do think it can be a great encouragement for people who are trying to uh, live from their new heart, uh, to know their identity in Christ, to uh, be done with religion, and to know God. Um, mm -hmm. And, and by the way, speaking of this, I also, the whole not religion thing, I, Andrew Farley, his books, um, 
excellent stuff. If you've not heard of Andrew Farley, or if you have his books, The Naked Gospel, God Without Religion, and Heaven Is Now, excellent resources for anybody who wants to grow in their knowledge of uh, of the gospel. But yeah, so growinandgrace.org, that's where uh, the website is that people can find our podcast. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Drew Farley, because I also wanted to recommend other sources other other than our own, um, because there are other people. They may not specifically use the terminology of the good and noble heart, but but the reality of the new identity is clearly there uh, in several authors that we know out there. Andrew Farley is one of them. Um, um, a book that shaped me early on was... Um, Oh, Dwight Edwards' Revolution Within. Um, that was a great book, again, about our new, new-hearted new identity. Um, you've mentioned Mick Mooney before. He talks about law and grace. Um, anybody else that you can think of? Oh, you know, there are plenty, and I'm um, trying to think. A person can go back to um, Bill Gillum. Um, he wrote a book called what God wishes Christians knew about Christianity. <laughs> and it's a bold, it's a bold title, but that one has really helped to shape a lot of people over the years. And he also wrote a book called lifetime guarantee. These books are, are solid identity based books that will really help a person to, to grow in, in the grace of God. Okay. Um, and one other book that I know that early on shaped me was Larry Crabb's Connecting. And it was a whole different assumption. Most assumptions in Christianity about how you connect with other people is that, is that it's our job to kind of expose the sin. <laughs> you know, expose the sin in somebody else, to hold people accountable, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And what he says in the book Connecting, he says, now there's something there's something good, there's something pure, and God is not interested in fixing you. He's interested in releasing something something that he's put within you. Um, and so we relate out of that. We, re, we, we relate out of that new assumption that there is something good that is worthy underneath the mess to be released, to be called out. So that's another resource. Um, well, anyway, um, Joel, thank you. I always appreciate your your insight and your wisdom, and um, hope this was an encouraging podcast. And again, you can go to my site, thegoodandnobleheart.com, uh, to that community page that's set up specifically to in- provide a more encouraging community to help people who are struggling to live from their new-hearted identity. You can go to Joel's page, Grace Roots. Is it graceroots.com or graceroots.org? I have uh, both Graceroots. I have both. Both will go to graceroots.org and then growinandgrace.org as well. That's for the podcast. So either one of those. Okay. Um, well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. And uh, feel free to enter into dialogue. And we hope that you find the community that your heart needs so that you can remember the truth that you are good and noble. <laughs>